Thank you for joining us for this week's broadcast of A Word from the Lord. Today is part two in the teaching series, Our Awesome God. Today's message is entitled, The Trinity Part Two, Our Father. Here now is our speaker and teacher for A Word from the Lord, Archbishop Foley Beach. So I'm here today to proclaim to you that we serve an incredible God. We worship an awesome God. We worship a majestic God. We we worship an exalted God. We worship Him in reverent fear. We worship Him with extreme wonder. He's exalted. He's highly lifted up. He's, He's awesome. Now this awesome God has revealed Himself as a trinity, or at least this is how we've come to understand it in, in the recent centuries. He's one God, yet three in one. We call it the Trinity. One God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We speak of God as Father. We speak of God as the Son. We speak of God as the Holy Spirit. We, we pray to God as Father. We pray to God the Son. We pray to God the Holy Spirit. He's Trinity. We sing. If you look at some of the hymns in your churches, we sing to the Father. We sing to the Son. We sing to the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons in one. The Godhead. A first grader once asked me um, one Sunday several years ago, how can God be one if he's three? First grader. Great question. Well, I tried to explain the Trinity in a a very simple way, but I've it was really tongue-tied. I, I tried to use the apple analogy. Some of you, you know, the skin, the core, the flesh. You know, that's all one. I tried to use the, the triangle illustration. You know, the three parts of the triangle. Um, I even tried to use the chemical makeup of ice, water, and steam. You know, that's all the same chemical, but expressed in different ways. I have to say, I think I failed miserably with that first grader. But actually, any analogy put on God is going to fall short. He's so awesome. But there's one God, three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, two quick points about the Trinity. First, it is a mystery. Church leaders, pastors, scholars throughout the years have been doing their best to to explain this, and we all fall short. Secondly, the word Trinity is not found in the Bible. We have inferences to it, and as we'll see in a minute, the word itself is is never found in the Bible. Uh, But our authority for speaking about God comes from this book. God has revealed himself to humankind, and the Bible has shown us how. During the first several centuries of the church, those early Christians began to wrestle with what these scriptures said about God. They studied the scriptures. They heard the words of Jesus. They saw what the epistles said. They saw that the Father was divine. They saw that the Son was divine. They saw the Holy Spirit was divine. And they knew that God was one, not three. So they wrestled and wrestled with how to explain God, to honor the integrity of the Bible. And they came up with this thing called the Trinity. They concluded that there's one God, that He's Father, that He's Son, and that He's Holy Spirit. So today, I want us briefly to look at the fatherhood of God. The first person of the Trinity, God the Father. We live in a time when many are denying the fatherhood of God, even in the church. Now, now obviously, God is beyond gender. 
We know that Genesis tells us that God created man and woman in his image, man and woman in his image. But there's a reason we refer to God as father. I remember a class in seminary where the professor told us that if we referred to God as father and did not then use mother in the next reference to him in a paper, we'd be demoted a letter grade. The same was true with the pronoun he and she. I remember discussing uh, this issue with some feminist friends. The feminist would say something like this. God is beyond father and mother, so it makes no difference what we call him. And I would say, well, God is obviously beyond gender, but God has revealed himself as father in the scriptures. But the feminist would say, but Foley, you know, the scriptures were written in a patriarchal culture. You know, men ruled. And that's why God is father. Things are different now. And my response was, well, all religions have come from a patriarchal culture, including the matriarchal religions. The biblical writers knew about many female deities from their world, but they believed God revealed himself to them as father. Feminists would say, but Foley, so many people have had bad experiences with their fathers. They've been abused and wounded or abandoned by their fathers. Don't you think they need some kind of image which doesn't conjure up all those negative feelings? And our response is, no. It's knowing God as Father that we learn what real fatherhood is all about. It's knowing the real Father that can bring healing from the bad experiences of one's earthly father. Does this mean that women are left out? Absolutely not. Does this mean God is anti-women? Absolutely not. He created women. C.S. Lewis wrote this, Christians think that God himself has taught us how to speak of him. Think about that. Lloyd Ogilvie wrote this, There's one attribute of God through which we are able to see all other facets of him. It serves as the viewpoint or the table from which we are able to view all other facets of his personality. God is first and foremost above and beyond anything else, a father. And Cameron writes, according to biblical revelation, this address to God is a gracious privilege announced by God himself, not some human theory which is open to revision. But not everyone in the church holds to this anymore. Just a few months ago, I was talking with a friend who attends the church not too far away from here. Actually, it's less than an hour down the road. The pastor told them that they were no longer going to use Father in the Lord's Prayer, but would pray, Our Mother who art in heaven. Um, This family's no longer attending that church. So let's look at this from several perspectives. Um, First, God has revealed himself as father. Actually, the first word in the Hebrew dictionary, the language of the Old Testament, is av, it's father. Psalm 68.5 tells us that God is a father to those without fathers. A God to the fatherless and a judge for the widows is God in his holy habitation. Deuteronomy 32.6 says God is a father who created us. It says, is this how you repay the Lord your God, O foolish and unwise people? Is not he your father who has bought you? He has made you and established you. Isaiah 64.8 tells us that God is a father who forms and shapes us. But now, O Lord, thou art our father. 
We are the clay, thou art the potter, and all of us are the work of your hand. And Malachi 2.10 tells us that God is the father, is the father of the nation of Israel. Actually, most of the references in the Old Testament speak of God primarily as the father of Israel. But then we come to the New Testament, the teaching of Jesus about God. Listen to New Testament scholar Don Guthrie. He writes this, the idea of the fatherhood of God, which is most characteristic of New Testament teaching, especially of the teaching of Jesus, Whereas the contemporary pagan world held its gods in fear, the Christian view of God's fatherhood brings an unparalleled element of intimacy in man's relationship with God. So here are a few examples of the New Testament teaching about God the Father. John 14, 23 tells us God is the father of Jesus. Jesus says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him, and we will come and make our abode with him. John 20, 17 says that God is the father of believers. This is uh, the resurrection appearance story. Jesus said to, to Mary, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my father and your father and my God and your God. Matthew 6, 9, God the father is the one in whom we pray. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, our father who art in heaven. In Ephesians 4, 6, we're told that God the Father is one God who is over all, through all, and in all. And then Romans 8, 15, we're told that for believers, God is the Father who is our daddy or papa. For you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba was a child who is showing respect and love for their father, would address their father, Abba. The child did this at every stage of life, and it conveyed affectionate respect. It's the kind of relationship Jesus modeled that his followers could have with the Heavenly Father. This is just a skimming of the surface of how the New Testament teaches that God is Father. But probably the most powerful illustration we have is Jesus' parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, or as I like to call it, the parable of the lost son. I'd like to read it to you. I don't know when the last time you've read this and thought about it. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the young son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. And he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed his pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants." And he arose and came to his father. And while he was still a long way off, 
His father saw him and he felt compassion and he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now here we see several things about the father. First, the father gave the son what he was entitled to. Verse 12. He was released from the family responsibilities and received his inheritance. Like the prodigal, the father gives us our freedom to go. We're able to go and use our gifts and talents and resources as we please. It's the way he treats us. In verse 20 and 24, we see, though, that the father was always looking for his son to return. Always. And so it is with God. He's always looking and waiting for our return when we leave him. He's longing for it. He's hoping for it. He's waiting for it. In verse 20 and 22, we see that the father exhibited mercy and grace when the son returned. You've probably heard this. Justice is getting what one deserves. Mercy is not getting what one deserves. And grace is getting what one doesn't deserve. Well, here the father exhibited mercy and grace to his son. And he does the same with us. When we return to him, he does not give us what we deserve. He gives us mercy. When we return to him, he gives us what we don't deserve, his grace. And then we see in verse 24, the father celebrated and threw a party when his son returned. And so it is with us. We're told that in heaven, the angels celebrate and rejoice when we return to our father. So what does Jesus want us to know with this parable? That God, the father loves us and desires a relationship with us. God, the father loves us and desires relationship with us. Whereas the Old Testament speaks of God as a father to the nation of Israel, the New Testament speaks of God as the father of Jesus and the father of all who believe in him. So what are the implications for us here in the 21st century? What are the implications? God is father. What does that do to us? Well, first, the first implication is spiritual adoption. We're adopted into God's family. In John 1.12, we're told that to those who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. His children, spiritual adoption. 2 Corinthians 6.8 says believers become God's sons and daughters. Now, many of us come from families where our fathers were not what they were supposed to be. Being adopted into God's family allows us to learn a father's affirmation, a father's acceptance. A father's love. Some of us want to be good and godly fathers to our children and grandchildren. It's by becoming intimate with God the Father that we're able to learn what it really means to be a father. The second implication is that the Father makes us spiritual persons. Because God is Father and we become His children, 
He makes us spiritual persons. We're given God the Holy Spirit. Galatians 4, 6 says this, because you are sons, or for the women here, it'd be daughters, because you are sons, God sent his spirit into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Romans 8, 16 says it this way, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. God the Father doesn't leave us as spiritual orphans. He gives us the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit so that He's always with us. He will not abandon us. He will not leave us. He will not forsake us through all the seasons and challenges of life. And the last implication I'd like to share is that the Father allows us to become spiritual heirs. Romans 8, 17 says this, Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. You and I are given a spiritual inheritance, which has many facets like forgiveness or healing or spiritual gifts or the fruits of the spirit. But the main one, the main inheritance is what's called eternal life, what we call heaven. All his children receive an inheritance. So we believe and we serve one God. He's Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But God has revealed himself as Father. Now here's the clincher. It's because of Jesus that we're able to have access to this loving Father. As Ephesians 2.18 says, through him, through Jesus, we have access in one spirit to the Father. It's through Jesus' death and resurrection that we're able to have a relationship with the Father. It's through Jesus' death and resurrection that we're able to have forgiveness of our sins and a right relationship with the Father. God doesn't have any grandchildren. He only has children. We can't rely on someone else's relationship with God. He wants to call each of us his son or his daughter. He wants each of us to know his love and acceptance and forgiveness. But it only comes through Jesus Christ. As Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So you may be a church member, you may be baptized, you may have been confirmed, you may serve as an usher or sing in the choir in your church. But if you don't know the Father... Through Jesus Christ, you're missing what it's all about. You may have taken your inheritance and you're using it for yourself. But the Father's waiting. He's longing. He's hoping that you'll return to Him so that He might love you and care for you. Let's pray together. Father, I thank You for each person here And I know that it is so easy to get busy living life, working, raising our kids, taking care of the grandkids, dealing with all the problems. And we put you on the back shelf. And I pray for anyone here that may have done that, that you would touch their heart even now and draw them to yourself. Open that relationship back up. Give them the ability to come to you as Lord and God of all.
This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to a word from the Lord. I would like to take a few moments and and give you the opportunity to become a believing Christian. I know today we have a lot of folks that go to church and are real religious, but if you were to ask them if they really know Jesus Christ, they wouldn't know what you were talking about. And I don't know if you're one of those people this morning, but if you've never become a believing Christian, I'd like to give you just a simple ABC, not a gimmick, but but just the way it is. A is for acknowledging that you're a sinner. We live in a culture which says, you know, basically we don't make mistakes, but we do. And when we measure up against God's Ten Commandments, um, all of us have fallen short in some way. We've all messed up, and, and that's called sin, and we need to acknowledge that. The B is, is to believe, to believe in Jesus and what He's done on the cross is God's remedy for our sin, is God's solution for being alienated from Him to believe that through Jesus I can be made whole and I can be healed that I can be forgiven and the C is for confess confess Jesus as your Lord and your Savior a lot of folks receive him as their Savior they want their what I call fire insurance make sure they don't go to hell but they aren't willing to allow him to be their Lord to be the one who uh, is the master of their life And and to confess that, uh, to be willing to share that with those you love and those you care about, that Jesus is your Lord. So it's really that simple. Um, And yet it's that powerful that it makes such an eternal difference. Acknowledge that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus is the solution. And confess that Jesus is your Lord. I invite you to stop what you're doing right now and, and say a simple prayer. Uh, confess your sin to Him, tell Him you believe in Him, and then begin to confess Him as your Savior, Lord. If you've done that, I encourage you to uh, let me know. I'd like to send you some materials so, to help you grow in your Christian faith. It's it's like becoming a, a baby all over again, and there's some things you need to know, some, some things you need to learn in order to walk with God. That was Dr. Beach with today's message. For more information on this message and this ministry, please visit awordfromthelord.org. There you will find today's message and previously aired messages, where you can listen to them again and share them with friends and family. Awordfromthelord.org has audio archives of Foley Beach's one-minute radio feature and much more. So visit awordfromthelord.org for audio, articles, and information about the ministry. You can find A Word from the Lord on Facebook, and be sure to click the Like button to follow our feed on Facebook. You'll want to be sure to visit Foley's blog at bishopfoleybeach.blogspot.com. On the blog, you can read the many articles posted by Dr. Beach. Many of these blog entries are excerpts and full articles published in local publications. You can also follow Foley on Twitter. His Twitter address is twitter.com 
at Foley Beach. If you have any comments or questions about the program, you can contact Dr. Beach by email at foleybeach at a word from the Lord dot org. Again, his email is foleybeach at a word from the Lord dot org. You can contact us by mail. Our mailing address is P.O. Box 636, Monroe, Georgia, 30655. Our mailing address again is P.O. Box 636, Monroe, Georgia, 30655. Whether you send us an email or write to us, we'd love to hear from you. A Word from the Lord is made possible by God's grace through the continued prayers and loving financial support from you. And we thank you for this opportunity to spread the hope of the gospel of Christ through this ministry. Join us again next time for the next broadcast of A Word from the Lord. For Dr. Beach and everyone here at A Word from the Lord, it is our prayer that you would be seeking a word from the Lord.